Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Ray Dirksen, the lead pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. I want to talk to you about faith prayers that move heaven and earth. Father, we just ask by your spirit that you would move in our hearts, that you would engage our hearts, that you would challenge our hearts on this matter of prayer. Father, our families are in desperate need. 60% of kids from church is leaving. Our country is in need and our world is in need. Bring renewal, we ask, by your spirit as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we shall see, prayer is important for receiving faith, while faith is required to send us to prayer. The two are inseparably linked. But before we examine that, let's briefly debunk false notions about faith. The exercise, number one, the exercise of faith isn't a formula. Some think that formula is like saying, in Jesus' name, we'll do it. They take it from passages such as, and Peter said, silver and gold, uh, I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. But Peter and John were not using a formula. That phrase, in the name of Jesus, means according to his will. Uh, if a personal assistant may write letters in their supervisor's behalf, knowing full well that, uh, what that person would want said, and the assistant might even sign it with their name on behalf of their supervisor, Essentially, that's what it means to say in Jesus' name. It means on behalf of or according to what he wants. Secondly, the exercise of faith isn't about claiming a Bible verse. Some get mad at God because they claimed and prayed, but he didn't give it to them. They claim a verse like this. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. But they ignore an important qualification that's in that very passage. Before this promise, it says that if you remain in me and my words remain in you. You remain in me and then my words will remain in you. Then ask whatever you wish. You know what those words are, of course. The specific words are from God. They're specific words from God for your situation. That's what. And he says, those kinds of things we can pray with great boldness when he gives them to us. If you pray his words, his will, then you and I get whatever we're praying for, guaranteed. Isn't that incredible? What a promise. Church, say, what a promise. It, say, what an incredible promise. Hit somebody in the face as you do this. <laughs> Number three, the exercise of faith isn't simply speaking positive words. If exercising faith were about speaking positive words, then how would we fulfill the command to bear one another's burden? That, would be an, that, that kind of a, a command would be irrelevant. Just speak positive words. You've got no more burdens. It isn't about speaking our words. It's about speaking his words and there, thereby his will. Isaiah 55, 11 says, so is what? So is What? My word, not our word, but his word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God never said our word would not return empty. His word would not return empty. 
When Balaam's donkey spoke, it was not speaking, the donkey was not speaking its own, own words. I can guarantee that. No, God placed his own words in the donkey. And the only words that have the kind of power Isaiah described are God's words. They may be given to us as prophecy or words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and so on, but essentially they're God's words. And then we speak them, and they recreate, recreate situations and remove mountains. Number four, the exercise of faith isn't for, the, for getting what you want. It's about getting what God wants, but done through you and I. James 4.3 says, when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on what? Your pleasures. That's the problem. In the Lord's Prayer, he, he taught us to pray. He taught his disciples to pray. He said, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not our will. We pray his will. So then what is true faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 and following tells us, it says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And from the following verses, we learn four things that true faith is, or biblical faith is. First, faith means we hope for something and have an assurance that it will happen, though we cannot see it. Romans says, now hope, is, uh, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? Uh, Paul said again in, in Corinthians, he said, we walk by faith and not by sight. However, it is no less reality than if you can see it. People on the outside of the church, they sometimes mock us because they say, you, you know, you walk by faith. Well, everybody walks by faith, actually. And... Uh, uh, a blind person cannot see what the, the seeing eye dog sees, but it is nevertheless reality. Is it not true? So God is not asking us to believe in something that isn't reality. He's just, he just says it's something that you cannot see. Number two. Uh, second, because I cannot see these things for myself, I have to rely on someone else who is reliable excuse me, who has seen them and able and is able to bring them to pass. I believe that there are many planets and stars and constellations, not because I've seen them, but because people I trust have looked into deep outer space with telescopes and the like, and they've seen them. We don't question that. We're trusting somebody else who has seen it and who is reliable. These things are real, and someone who has seen them tells us so. Such things give us strong conviction that is true, though, uh, though we haven't seen or experienced them yet, which is precisely what biblical faith is. Number three, you have to be able to hear God in order to have biblical faith. Really important. Romans 10 verse 17 says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, I've said this before here, church, but there's always new people coming. We've got a, and repetition is good for learning. Would you agree? Jesus did a lot of repetition. I'm good at repetition. Ask my kids when they were growing up. <laughs> if the definite article, the, is present in the grammatical construction, it should be translated the word of Christ and would refer to something specific like the word of God or the scriptures. But there's no article here, so it should be translated a word of Christ. Not only that, 
But the Greek word for word here is not logos, which refers generally to God's universal word to everyone, scripture. The word is rhema and refers to specific word for a specific person or a group of people at a specific time spoken by Christ or his Holy Spirit. Not necessarily scripture, though he often uses that too, as he did me this morning in the reading of and meditation of the word this morning at a psalm. Jesus taught that we not only need God's word, written word from the past, scripture, we also need his spoken word to us in the present. In Matthew chapter 4, and can prove it, Matthew chapter 4, verse 3 to 4, Satan said, Command that these stones become bread, because he was tempting Jesus to, what, eat, when he had been fasting 40 days. Jesus' response to that statement and that temptation was, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that is proceeding from the mouth of God. Nowhere, now, just, just bear with me a second. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that you can't command stones to be turned to bread that you can eat. Have you ever seen a law out of the 613? Have you ever seen one, that one? That would be 614 then. Because it's not there. So Jesus couldn't have been referring there to the written word. He was referring to the spoken word. The, thing, the word that, that Christ, that we live on every single day as we meditate on his word. And he said that not only he, Jesus, was living by that, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, rhema, by the way, that is proceeding out of the, word, uh, out of the mouth of God. So Jesus taught it. Now let's go back to Romans 10, verse 17. Because in the context, people often uh, will, will suggest to me, well, but the context says is really what Romans 10, 17 is saying. It's talking about faith coming by hearing, hearing. It's talking about the saving faith. Well, I'll grant you that. I agree with you. That is actually the context of Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It is referring to saving faith in that case, and it talks about people believing in Christ when he speaks to them. I remember when he spoke to me at, when I was 12 years old and how I came to Christ that way. How many of you has, did he speak to when you came to Christ? Raise your hand. Whoa, lots of you. I heard some uh, wonderful examples recently in the church uh, on the online mentoring and church renewal, and I'm just going to tell you a couple of them of how that, how, how that worked and some of the stories I heard. One was from Pastor Roger from Panama just uh, maybe two weeks ago. He was meditating, in John, and I had them working through the exercise in the Hearing God seminar, and he was, he was meditating on John 4, and the Holy Spirit reminded him that he used to spend much more time in prayer, and he was convicting him that he needed to return to prayer. And he also reminded him of how he used to hear God many years ago when he was ministering for Operation Mobilization. And then he reminded him of a time that he was in Sweden ministering in a prison. He witnessed to a Muslim, and the Muslim said to him, don't speak to me about your religion. So he quit talking about his religion or about Christianity. And uh, as they were uh, conversing, the Muslim finally asked him, he said, why did you become a missionary? And uh, so Pastor Roger said, if you want me to tell you, I can't do it without speaking about my religion. So the Muslim said, okay, you can speak about your religion. And so they continued to talk, he explained that. 
And finally, a trust was built, and the Muslim uh, prisoner said to Pastor Roger, he said, I had a dream, and I don't know what it means, and, and it's in, I think about it every day. It's continually there. And I'm just wondering if you can tell me what the dream means. Boy, does that sound like the Bible? <laughs> These stories were given to, as examples for how we were supposed to live. Amen? Amen? Not to fossilize them in the, in the past and say, well, they were amazing saints. Someday we'll see them. God was saying, this is how you're supposed to live. Do you know, how to, do you, do you know what the meaning of the dream is? And Pastor Roger said, well, no, I, I, don't, I, I don't know, but I'll ask. So he told him the dream. The Muslim told him, and he said, uh, there were three white robes, there's a black dog, and a loaf of bread that the black dog was trying to steal. Pastor Roger then prayed and listened. He said, Lord, please show me the meaning of this dream. The Lord immediately showed him what it meant. He said, the three white robes refer to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What a thing to say to a Muslim, isn't it? Then he said, the bread refers to Jesus, who the Bible says is the bread of life. He's the only way. And the black dog is the devil who doesn't want you to have Jesus, and so he's trying to snatch him away from you. And immediately, the Muslim knew that that was the true meaning. You say, how did he know that was the meaning? Because God spoke in his heart. And he said, I want to know Jesus. I've been looking for meaning for 25 years, and with that he came to Christ. I want to tell you about another one I heard uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Also, Church Renewal, one of our pastors, she is here today, Connie Denbach from Toronto. And she received a rather hostile call from a man who was upset that, uh, about an interview that she, had, uh, that she had had in which she was uh, saying that she believed that ministers should be, shouldn't be atheists. <laughs> but in sp instead of becoming defensive or hanging up, she invited him to a Hearing God seminar. <laughs> and to her surprise, he came. Amen. He dominated the conversation, expounding a Buddhist belief system, and she pegged him to be somewhere between an atheist and an agnostic. He participated in the practicum of the Hearing God seminar, and th then decided to try the homework portion during the week. To everyone's surprise and disappointment, he returned next week. <laughs> she, she said this. I wish you could hear it from her way better. But this time, he was different. He wasn't condescending. He didn't mock anyone. He didn't dominate the conversation. The participants had an opportunity to share. When it was his turn, he shared what had happened at home. When he listened in prayer, Jesus showed up and told him that when he was growing up in the church, the people were very harsh, they were hard, they were critical, uh, they fought with one another. And then Jesus said to him, but I'm not like that. Amen. And it melted his heart. I said to her, that was a form of inner healing that probably happened to him right there. Right there, Jesus melted his heart and he was so different. And then he said, he came back... Uh, so he, he came to the group and he said to the group, I'm so glad for this group where I can come and they don't mock me for telling what happened. Uh, they, they won't be hostile, they won't be critical, and they won't mock. 
Both a Muslim and an atheist were transformed because they heard a word from Christ. I believe that this is an application of hearing God that the church around the world will will soon tap into, and we'll see a great harvest from in the near future, including here in Canada. I think it'll transform evangelism. In fact, Connie said, and I quote, it's perfect answer to the postmodern person whose only belief is in what they experience. The Holy Spirit has perfectly set things up for a great spiritual harvest. But you know, the Bible doesn't make a distinction in faith. It's all the same. It doesn't talk about the saving faith and then the other kind of faith. You believe what Christ is saying in your heart, that he is the only way to the Father, and so you have faith, faith to be saved. And when you believe what Christ says in your heart that that you are to do, that he wants you to do as well, uh, and so you have faith, faith to do what he asks you to do. So faith to receive the gospel. Faith to do what he says. Whatever he says to us, when we believe it, it's faith. We see this in Hebrews. For example, Noah built an ark, though he'd never seen a flood. Why? Because God warned him. Noah heard a word from God. Hebrews 11, 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And we see all three aspects of faith in the reference to Noah here. Number one, remember what we were talking about. Noah had never experienced or seen a flood, had he? Number two, he had to rely on someone who could bring it it about. And he had to have the ability to hear God say that to him. Isn't it true? So Abraham moved from his birthplace to a place he had never seen because God called. So we see Noah heard God, Abraham heard God, and they responded to what they heard. Isaac and Jacob were promised. They heard. Sarah was promised. She heard. Abraham was told to sacrifice Isaac. He heard again. Moses left Egypt and and kept the Passover because God said he heard. The walls of Jericho fell when Israel marched around her walls because God said, and they heard. I want you to see how profound and simple this can be when discipling a new believer. I'm going to tell you another story coming right out of church renewal mentoring online, this time from Mexico. Nacho is his name. By the way, Nacho was here. Uh, He was here in May, and Randy and Adele Penner uh, flew him out here, and he's in, in the mentoring now on Thursdays, and we have a group that's grown from three to eight now, and many are coming in May. And Nacho had led a man to Christ, a new, new believer, and then the new believer's car was broken into and his battery and cell phone stolen. What? Ah, man, when you're discipling somebody who's just a brand new believer and that happens, aren't you going, oh God, why didn't you talk to me first about that? <laughs> the timing is just a little off. You know, why didn't you wait till I just had him a little further down the road? And what really upset the new believer was that all his contacts were gone, so Nacho asked the Holy Spirit how to respond to that. Because the new believer was really upset, just got saved. This doesn't make sense. I get saved, now things get worse. It's supposed to get better, isn't it? 
So uh, the Holy Spirit directed Nacho to read Job 1 and 2. He was listening, and then the Spirit said, read Job 1 to 2 to the new believer. So he did. He read Job 1 to 2. What a great first lesson for a new believer in discipling. <laughs> Job. Oh, great. I was hoping I'd be like less than 35. So he read Job 1 to 2. Job lost everything. And then Nacho taught the new believer that though he lost everything, Job didn't blame or curse God as his wife had suggested. And the Holy Spirit also reminded Nacho of another scripture passage as he was teaching. Suddenly he heard, oh yeah, Matthew 12. And he looked over there and it says, but I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. It talks about cursing and stuff. Oh, that caught the new believer off guard there. He was kind of like, oh. He, he, he knew he'd better watch his words. Job hadn't. Now he's being warned. So Nacho taught the new believer that when God allows something bad, we can always praise him by faith for what he is doing in our difficult situation, knowing that he work, works all things together for good to those who love God. So the new believer didn't curse God and just said that he was upset. And he actually said that. He said, okay, I, I, I didn't curse God. I'm just upset at him. <laughs> Eddie and Christina and I were just chuckling as we're listening to this thing. And this is going through translation and lots of noise and as uh, over the the whole thing. But it was worth every second. Nacho went on to explain to the new believer that at the end of the trial, God supplied Job with more than he had before, and and assured the new believer that in the end, God would work everything out better for him than at the start. Then Nacho, the new believer, began praising God in the situation. And they were happy and they were rejoicing. Lord, thank you for what you're going to do because I lost my battery and my, my cell phone and all my contacts. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And they were getting very excited down there in Mexico. <laughs> As Nacho was preparing the message for Sunday, the Holy Spirit directed him to use this story to teach his people the same truth. So he did in the and God spoke to the members of his congregation. Several came to him right after the service and said, Oh, that was exactly what we needed to hear. We're going through some really difficult times and things. Then he met with the new believer again. And as he was telling the story, he, he's doing it in Spanish. So I'd asked him to switch to Spanish from the English. And, uh, and, uh, and then Christina looked at me and she was filled with tears. They were just brimming in her eyes. And she said, he just said, and now for the cherry on the top. I said, okay, what's the cherry on the top? Nacho uh, decided with the new believer, they were going to listen in prayer, why the Holy Spirit had allowed his phone with all its contacts to be stolen. And immediately the Holy Spirit said, all his contacts were bad contacts that took him down a bad path and road in life. So I took away his phone and his contacts so he wouldn't go down that road again. And suddenly the new believer just melted. And he realized God was good in what he did. Amen? Amen? But if you can't hear him, how would you know that? He's always speaking to his people. And if the, if the, if the sheep in the Canadian church could hear the great shepherd instead of just the under-shepherd, how much better off would they be? Amen? Amen? Yeah. 
Fourth, you have to obediently act on what you've heard from God. Hebrews 11 says, By faith Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. In this verse, obedience is clearly linked to faith. It has nothing to do with feelings of confidence or such. A person may have great faith or confidence, which will lead to stepping out in faith or obedience. However, a person, and you might feel like this, may have little faith. You might be here and you got small faith or confidence, and you still step out in faith. That's obedience. And that's why Jesus could say that even if a person had faith as small as a mustard seed, they could tell the, uh, the mountain in their life to be moved, and it would move. And he also called it no faith. If we don't act on it, Mark chapter 4. It's not about feeling confident, but about being obedient. Sometimes the things that God has asked me, I have been, I've literally trembled when I stepped out to, to do them. Completely fe fearful of what was going to happen, but it's not, and so I probably had little faith, but I took a step and it was obedient. It's not about your great faith, it's about your obedience. Amen? But you can't have that kind of faith if you can't hear him. And so he called it faith. No faith if we don't act on it. Jesus was instructing, I'll give you an example here. Jesus was instructing his disciples that if a brother or sister sinned against them and they repented, they were to forgive, even if it happened seven times in one day. Do you remember that story? On another occasion, the disciples wishing to limit it to only seven, Jesus then answered, I tell you, not only seven times, but what? Ah, Seventy-seven times. See the disciples' reaction to his teaching. The apostles said to the Lord, when he said that, they said, well, then increase our faith. Do you remember that? <laughs> There's no way I can pull that one off. Then you better give us more faith. Well, I want you to see how Jesus responded to that. In the Greek, uh, the conjunction chi, and, translated and or but, links verse 5 with what Jesus had just said to the apostles, and unfortunately, it only, only the KJV and the N, uh, NKJV catch this. Without this understanding, it appears that a separate and unrelated portion follows Jesus' teaching on forgiveness, and that's regrettable because it misses the point of what Jesus then says about faith. He was using that as a way to explain what he had just talked about uh, in forgiveness. Verse 6, said, said, Jesus tells them uh, what they could do if they acted on faith given them. But then he goes on to explain via a parable a key component in this matter of faith. And he tells the story. Suppose one of you, and remember he's talking about, uh, he's told them you've got to forgive 77 times. And they said, well, then you better increase our faith. So he turns around and tells a parable to respond to their response. He says, suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get, ready, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink? Isn't that what he would say? Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? 
So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. What is going on here? Why is he using this parable? The disciples were upset at the hard things Jesus was requiring of them, such as radical forgiveness. So they demanded, well, then increase our faith, because such forgiveness is too hard. In other words, they were lipping off. Well, then you better increase our faith. Jesus telling the parable in response to the disciples' reaction was to set the matter straight. He was saying to them that when a, matter, uh, when a master tells you to do something, they didn't need more faith. What they needed was to obey. To act on what he had already said. The proper response would have been uh, not to lip off as the disciples had just done, but to simply say in our vernacular, Yes, sir. That would have been the right response. So, we see now what true faith is. Now I'm going to link faith and prayer. To sum up. True faith, prayers, move mountains. Bear with me as I have to explain something I've said before so that everyone can follow me because not everybody's heard that. A man approached Jesus and kneeling before him said, Lord, Lord, have mercy on my son for he's epileptic. He suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire, often into the water. I brought him to your disciples. They could not heal him. Jesus turned around, rebuked the demon. It came out of the boy and was healed. And then the disciples asked, why couldn't we do that? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, I think that's little faith too, isn't it? Help me, is it? He just said, because of your little faith, you couldn't do it. But now turn, uh, turn around and look what he says. If you have little faith, like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will, be, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. The first thing I want you to uh, see here is what appears to be an oxymoron. And a contradictory explanation from, from Jesus. Like, which one is it, Jesus? Little faith is why they couldn't do it, and little faith is why you can do it. That doesn't make any sense. So how do we resolve this seeming contradiction? Well, the first little faith doesn't mean little faith. Jesus already said that if they had a little, uh, just a little like a mustard seed, it would be enough. And in the story, we can see they had some kind of faith. They actually tried and expected to exercise the demon. They'd often driven out demons before. Mark says that. But now it didn't work. Why? The reason can't be that it wasn't God's will. Jesus was upset at them. So that can't be the reason. Besides, it's always God's will to fight the enemy and set people free. Don't you agree? It's not always... I'm not going to go down that road right now. Chris will do that. The disciples had a defective faith. And the clue is seen in Mark's telling of the same story where Jesus adds, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but what? By what? By what church? What was the choir singing about? Prayer. Prayer? What did he mean by that? What did it have to do with faith? This defective faith. The disciples had been tempted to think that this exorcism gift was in their control and could be exercised at their disposal. 
It encouraged them to trust in themselves rather than in God. They had to learn that their previous success in expelling demons provided no guarantee of continued power. Just because you preached one good sermon doesn't mean the next one's going to work. And just because you've been successful in witnessing to people doesn't mean the next one will if you go in your own power. That's what he was saying to them. The, the Greek construction there indicates they had, a, it was a defective faith that he was talking about. And it's unfortunate the way our translations come out. Obviously, they didn't understand what they were, quite what was going on. But it was a defective faith. And Jesus said, if you, the defective faith is why you couldn't do it, even though you've done it many times before, because you didn't come in my presence. That's where you get the power. That's where you get faith. That's where you get everything you need. And then he said, if you just have a little bit of that, <laughs> just a little bit, and then obey, you will move, what? Mountains. Move mountains. They assumed it was now inherent in them. Oh, we cast out demons before. This is a piece of cake. I got the gift of exorcism. I just go and kick demons out wherever I go. Uh, I'm an exorcist. Make films about yourself. <laughs> their faith was defective because it was in their self-sufficiency rather than in God's sufficiency. And the disciples no longer depended prayerfully on God for it. Their failure showed their lack of prayer, and that upset Jesus. He said, you guys, the reason you couldn't cast this thing is because you haven't been in prayer. If you had come out of prayer, the presence of me, uh, my presence would have gone with you into the situation. You would have had no problem casting it out. That's what he was saying. You and I have no inherent life or power in us. Would you agree? Using another metaphor of vine and branches, Jesus said, Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit of itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you, what, everybody? Remain in me. Unless you, what? Exactly. In prayer you receive true faith as God speaks to you and then empowers you as you go out. And when you get true faith, listening prayer, you can then, in listening prayer, that's where you get it, by the way, as you're meditating in the Word, because meditation is about listening to what God is trying to say into you as you're reading His written Word. And as you go to listening prayer, He speaks to you, He gives you promises, and He gives you directions and directives, and He tells you what to do. And as you get that, you can then pray bold prayers that actually move mountains. In fact, as you're going to see, they actually move heaven and earth. Daniel chapter 9. I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. He was reading the prophecy that Jeremiah had written, given by a word from the Lord. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting. And look what happened when Daniel prayed according to a word of the Lord given to show God's will in the situation. The angel Gabriel appeared and said, as soon as he began to pray, a word went out, which I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. I want, I've been praying this for the last while. 
I go to prayer, and I start praying about something the Holy Spirit's given me, a word, a thought, a picture, as I've been listening in prayer. God, you know, even on our fasting cards, and we listen in prayer about each of those things, and say, God, what are you saying to us about these things? And as I've, as I've been going to prayer, and I've started to pray what he told me, there's great confidence that goes with it. And I said, Lord, I thank you that as I'm praying this, you are already sending out a command from your throne room to accomplish it. That's how it works. And the angel of... Uh, and look what happened when Daniel prayed according to the word of the Lord given to show God's will in the situation. The angel Gabriel said a word went out. Now, in chapter 10, we see another example of Daniel praying when an angel arrives and says, Since the first day, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. This is amazing, church. Heaven stirs and moves about in response to true faith prayers. It responds. And when Daniel prayed according to God's expressed will, commands went out from the throne room of heaven and see what happened on earth, Ezra chapter 1. In order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation through his realm. Who moved the heart of Cyrus? The Lord did. The Lord has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem, in Judah. A pagan king said that. Any one of his people among you, let him go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord. And the people of any place, he's talking about his own people, where survivors may now be living, survivors of Jerusalem, may now be living, are to provide him with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. How impossible is that? That is absolutely astounding. That can't happen. And we see Jeremiah prophesied it, Daniel prayed it, and then heaven responded, and things moved on earth. Would you agree with that? That's how it worked. And with that, the exiled nation began to move back to its own land. Wow. When we pray according to a promise, that God gives us personally, a word goes out from the throne room of God and it is accomplished. And that is incredible. That is incredible. December 2008, John Bergen, CEO of, uh, former CEO of Willow Creek, Canada, called saying he was resigning from Willow and wondered if I would consider launching a ministry to the Canadian church, and I said no. But over the next three years, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me, to Fran, the, the senior management staff, the board, and all our prayer teams. And it became abundantly clear that it was exactly what we were supposed to do, and it was exactly what I didn't want to do. And so we said, okay. <laughs> but, but I'd go before him and say, I don't have a clue how to do this. How do you do something like this? We didn't have any pastors. We didn't have any plans. We didn't have strategies. We had materials. We didn't have church renewal weekends. We didn't have anything. And we're not particularly smart. <laughs> okay. 
But we stepped out and obeyed, and we started to pray those prayers, and we pray them at every prayer summit together, and we, we pray these, and we pray these, and we pray these every, every day and every week and every month, and God is doing unbelievable things in church renewal. But he has to speak. And then we pray. And when we receive that in prayer, then we turn that around into a prayer. And when we pray his will in heaven, the command goes forth. Things are stirred. It comes back to earth. And it actually starts to happen. And we stand and marvel. And we say, well, that sure wasn't us. <laughs> we couldn't pull that, that off. Is it true, church? Amen. Yeah. Right now, uh, I, uh, I'll just give you an example because this is what I want you to do. This will sort of sum, sum things up. Some of you are looking at your prayer and fasting cards. And I said uh, some weeks ago, I said, you really not, you, you shouldn't just pray those things. You need to go to prayer about each individual thing and listen to God and see what he's saying about them and then pray that. Then you have the faith to pray. That's biblical true faith to pray that back to heaven. And I'll give you an example in my own life because there's, <laughs> there's nothing to show for it. I'll just show you how it's working and say you do the same. And I encourage you to do the same. I, um, I went to, uh, I met with uh, Grace on Thursday, I think it was, Grace Fast, uh, as I normally do, about once a week or so, and I just update her on some of the prayer needs for the church and, and things that I'm working on behind the scenes. And I said, uh, in my number two point, I said, it just seems I can't get this thing out of my head. It's been there for weeks. She said, what is it? I said, a discipling tool. And the minute I said, uh, 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 discipling, she gasped. She never does that. And she caught herself quickly. And I said, did God speak to you? She said, yeah, last night in a dream. And, and this is what she said. She said, in the dream, um, it was in a, the setting was a big city, and there was a big room in the, uh, this, this big room in a building, in a city building. And there were many, many people in there milling around they had question marks on them, and they were confused. And, um, um, and uh, I just want to make sure I had the right words. Yes, I did. So in the dream, Grace asked the Lord, what are we to do with these people? And a voice said, disciple them. I couldn't believe it. God had been speaking to me about a, forming a discipling tool here for Southland, and I imagine by extension church renewal. And now... There was this dream the night before that confirmed uh, what I thought. Well, as soon as I left Grace's office, she went off to mentor. I went looking for Fran and found her in the prayer room. She waved me over immediately as soon as she saw me and immediately told me that, uh, what had just happened to her. This was 30 minutes later. And uh, she had been praying and meditating when the following passage was highlighted by the Holy Spirit. And it's taken out of Matthew 9 in the NLT, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd, he said to his disciples, harvest is great, but the workers are few. So she asked the Lord why he was highlighting that particular verse for her. The Lord responded, 
that she was to give it to me because uh, the Lord said Ray needs this to confirm the sense that he has that he's supposed to develop discipling materials. So here you had Fran and Grace, neither one of them knowing what I'd been wrestling for weeks. Within 30 minutes, confirming, using even the same words, confused people, you're supposed to you're supposed to disciple them, confirming a particular tool that I, I've already been working on, but it needs a lot of work, so it's my, it's my thing. Well, guess what? In the last two days has become a prominent theme in my prayer time. Even early this morning, I was walk, pacing in the basement, just crying out to the Lord, and I say, Lord, thank you that you're going to give me the wisdom, and you're going to give me the ability, and you're going to show me how to make this tool, because I don't know. Just like I didn't know how to make this set-free retreat and the Empower Retreat and the Hearing God Seminar. But then he helps. Amen? When he says it, then you get faith and you pray that boldly back and he gives you what you need in response to your prayers. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about faith prayers that move heaven and earth. Wow. Wow. Many of you have big needs. And God wants to hear your prayers, but he wants you first to listen to him. And what he is doing in that situation, or what he wants to do in that situation, and then he wants you to respond in prayer and do what he says for that situation. Amen? Those are great faith prayers. And you might feel weak as you're praying, but be assured, Jesus said that that kind of prayer, even if it was based on, just, it was just a tiny mustard seed, if you take that step and you start to pray that and you start to do what he instructs you in the middle of it, he said, you will remove the mountains that are in the way for what he wants. Do you believe that, church? He wants to move mountains in your personal life. He wants to move mountains in your in your family life. He wants to move mountains in our church life. And oh, we got mountains. How in the world are we going to get that retreat training center? Uh, there's lots of mountains. That we need mountains moved in our province. We need mountains moved in our country. We need all kinds of mountains moved. Jesus said that if we would take the time and come alone with him, and connect to the vine and hear them and receive faith there, then we would remove, we would move mighty mountains. I want you to join me in looking at the weekly challenge. Sign up for the Hearing God Seminar if you've never taken it. You say, I don't know how to hear God's voice. Oh, oh, you're missing the birthright. You'll want to. And uh, you're Prayer and fasting cards, put them in a prominent place so you remember to pray each day. Listen in prayer about each of the church and personal requests separately. Journal it out and pray and act accordingly. And, uh, and then tonight at 6 o'clock is what? Prayer summit. Come here tonight and we're going to pray against some of these mountains that got to be moved. Amen? Amen. That's what we're going to do. And uh, if any of you are here uh, today that would like prayer, maybe you'd like to investigate this thing about Jesus. 
that we've been talking about. You heard some of those testimonies of people, atheists, Muslims, so on and so forth. You want to investigate that further. You want to talk to somebody. You want to see if you can hear God's voice. You go through those double doors just, to, just off that way. There's a prayer room. And there are trained people waiting to pray with you. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds have been prayed for, are prayed for every single year. And uh, God does amazing things in them. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Grant us a true biblical faith as we remain in the vine and receive your words. Your words remain in us so that we might move heaven through our prayers to move things on earth according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.